0: You've heard the headlines. Get some perspective now with Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. And a good morning to you. A happy Monday. We're going to jump right into the show. The latest in the brewing tensions between Iran and the United States. The lead.
1: Yeah, it might be a happy Monday, Bruce, but there are some people that are quite concerned out there right now. Yeah, tensions running high, especially in Tehran, as thousands gather to witness General Soleimani's body parade through the city to the Grand Mosque for Soleimani's funeral ceremony. Now, red flags have been flown above mosques and in the streets. Iranians promised vengeance against the U.S. and President Trump.
0: Yeah, over over the weekend also, you had the government of Iraq. It's always important to kind of keep these things separate. Uh, It was a non-binding resolution, but it could move forward uh, asking the United States military to leave the country entirely after they conducted a military strike at the Baghdad airport against General Soleimani. Iraq kicking us out of their country would be interesting in and of itself. Yeah,
1: I mean, the way that I've described this to people over the weekend, I mean, imagine if um, Putin came in and killed a Chinese military leader in the United States. It's kind of, well, you can't come in here. And do that when he's doing business with us. Like, you aren't supposed to do that. That That's kind of the nuts and bolts of it all. And that's why Iran is really ticked off. Now, granted, Soleimani's a bad dude. Okay, yeah. There's no love lost in the fact that the guy no, is dead.
0: But the argument the argument behind his killing, that he was planning uh, attacks on Americans, well, he's been doing that for close to 30 years.
1: Yeah, but what's new here? I, well, and but I don't but know. by
0: that argument, so is Mike Pompeo. As far as the Iranians are concerned, he's planning attacks on Iranians. Again, when you're a member of the government and you're a military leader, there's a certain argument that that's your job.
1: So let's get away a little bit from the, you know, what happened in Iraq. And yes, there are these protests. Uh, Soleimani's funeral is about to take place in Tehran because there's something very real happening here in the United States. And if you were on the Internet at all this weekend, which I would venture to say most of you have been. You noticed it. Lots of questions, lots of concern here in the United States when it comes to what's next with Iran, because, frankly, nobody really knows. But there are at least a certain demographic of individuals, Bruce quite concerned yeah and
0: and that is those of military age for lack of better terms right the the young people out there because and we bring this up let's
1: go 18 to 25 right
0: (laughs) that uh many of you might not remember registering for selective service on your 18th birthday i remember doing it just vaguely Uh, and selective service is a way to come up with a mass list if you will That could be used, has not, but could be used to implement some sort of a draft during wartime. The Selective Service website crashed over the
1: weekend it crashed because you've got a lot of people going well wait what did i what box did i check right. when uh, i turned 18 or what box did i what check did I agree on to? the fafsa form yes if you have applied for um you know student loans yeah. for you know, the the student loans for for college They help to, you know, they let you check the box there. And that's what a lot of kids going to college have done. And you may not have realized what exactly it is that you signed up for. Now, let's be clear, though. It's like your Apple
0: end user agreement. Yeah, I agree.
1: But just because you check the box doesn't mean you're going to get drafted. Because here's the thing. The draft was abolished back in the 70s. Okay, It was abolished. Selective service is not the draft. Do you hear me? Selective service is is not the draft. Now, if the, the government different. decides
0: to re-implement,
1: then that would be different. Agreed. Okay, because currently, as it stands right now, just because you check the box on Selective Service, that is not the draft. Okay? Right. Important. Very important distinction here, folks. Um, but just because of that, there, there are still a lot of questions, and so many questions that people... Crashed that Selective Service website over the weekend. That's funny, but I mean, like, here, here's the thing. Uh, not funny. Not funny. Haha. By any way, shape, or form, this was a uh, a tweet okay. that was set out by the Federal Student Aid account uh-huh. uh, because they made a point to clarify that that men who filled out the FAFSA forms would not be prioritized in the draft. Explaining this quote. There is no priority order for a selective service based on the FAFSA form. They use a random lottery in year of birth. Let's just pause for a moment here uh-huh. and allow the gravity of that statement to sink in. The fact that we're even discussing this yeah. should not get lost in this moment now
0: here is the is it
1: fear mongering is it alarmist i think it it is
0: and here's why i would say that
1: or is is it fear of the unknown that
0: if and when and i still think it was a big if there was any sort of a war with iran the idea of conventional warfare like we've thought about it we haven't fought a conventional war since vietnam a, a yeah, conventional but, but, war.
1: Yeah, but I mean, where, where we so were many up against so men and women, though, that have died in but, oh, you
0: say that. Iraq, in uh, Afghanistan. More and, died in Vietnam that have died in every war since. I so, so yes, there are still casualties, but those are all people that volunteered. Nobody was conscripted into the military after 9-11, for example. These were all volunteers, and the type of wars that we are fighting moving forward involve less humans and more technology.
2: We also learned on the night of the attack against the Iranian leader, federal cybersecurity
0: officials reissued a warning about Iran to industry and government agencies. Iranian hackers are quite good at convincing employees to click on links and emails that may look like they're from colleagues or friends
2: and using that to gain access to take over computer networks.
1: OK, so I think that that's a very important distinction to make. And I think that that's also where a great risk still lies. And therefore, coming up at 1030 today on our program, we're going to have Ken Colburn with the data doctors on yeah. to, to help us with this, because I'm with you, Bruce, the, uh the conflict with Iran, let's just go with conflict right now because nobody wants it to escalate into a war. But let's say the conflict we've got going with Iran right now. Yes, we do know, unfortunately, there are going to be many more military service members that are going to be sent to that region. We're already mm-hmm.
0: 3,500 or whatever have been deployed. Now are they going
1: to be sent to Iraq? I don't know because Iraq enough. wants to kick us out. You can yeah. see how volatile the situation else. has become and Iran will retaliate. How? We just don't know. When or how, but the cyber cyber attacks, that's where it's at. Welcome to 2020. And we're going to be talking to Ken Colburn again, coming up at 1030 as to what you need to know, how you can potentially protect yourself on this Well,
0: along those lines, too. I mean, think about this. The attack, strike, assassination, killing of General Soleimani was conducted by, it appears, a drone. Well, there you go. Yeah. being Not an American pilot flying over, putting themselves in harm's way in some way, shape or form. But if you understand how these work could very well have been uh, somebody uh, sitting in a bunker in, in a building in Nevada, piloting a drone, uh, using cameras and infrared to identify the target and firing a strike from tens of thousands of miles away. You see what I'm saying? Like, like. That's what warfare looks like today. It's not, hey, we're going to line up all our troops and march across the field and go get you. That's what
1: it looks like today. But I still don't think that we have even, I don't know, seen the, the, the tip of the sword when it comes to what cyber warfare would look like in this world right now agreed that and we
0: lack the imagination i and, admit it and and, and 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 let me be very clear yeah 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 i don't want to find out no no we're not wishing for it but i agree if and when i doubt we'd see it coming and we probably wouldn't know at first what's going on it, it would take a while to trace it
1: forensically yeah
0: do you know what i'm saying And mm-hmm. go where did that come from how did that happen so Whew. again ken coburn from the data doctor is going to be joining us uh later to talk a little bit about it so um Can I still take Uber and Lyft to Phoenix Sky Harbor? I was under the impression, Pamela, that starting January 1st, they said they were pulling out. They were done. No mas. But yet, today, you can take one to and or from Sky Harbor. So what changed? Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. You know, there was one of the... Big talking points, the recent vote in the city council, the move to add a fee, is it unconstitutional in the state of Arizona, to Uber and Lyft rides to and from Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport. And and count me as one, Pamela. I did a lot of traveling over the holidays. I was worried about landing at Sky Harbor after January 1st and finding out I had to find a different way home than Uber and Lyft. But that is not
1: the case. No, not right now. If you want to take an Uber or a Lyft to Phoenix Sky Harbor, you can. If you want to take one home from the airport, I know a lot of people probably, you know, getting back into sure, the... Sure, over the weekend? The, yeah, well, I mean, it's also the business class. You know, a lot of people travel for work, and oh, so yeah. they're able yeah. to take one this morning, and when they come back from that business trip this week, they're going to be able to take it. So, where do we stand? You can still take an Uber or Lyft to Sky Harbor Airport, even with the $4 pickup and drop-off fees now set to start... Oh. On February 1st.
2: Both rideshare groups still say they plan to cut service later this month. They consider the fees too burdensome for their drivers. The Goldwater Institute threatens legal action if the fees don't disappear, but Goldwater is waiting for the Arizona Attorney General's office to conclude its own investigation about their legality in three weeks. Sky Harbor says the $4 fees make the rideshares pay their fair share for airport streets and curbs. Chicago's big airports charge $5.10 each way.
1: All right. So you can still continue to take that ride to and from the airport. Uh As you heard KTAR's Peter Seymour report there, that the rideshare company is planning on changing that sometime this month. When I say sometime this month, keep on the calendar again if this is something that's gonna impact you January nineteenth. Okay. Now, January 19th is an important day okay. because that is when at Arizona right Attorney General Mark Bernovich has to wrap up his investigation. Okay. Now, he was on a couple of weeks ago, right here on our program, talking about the investigation and why, in fact, his office is taking a look at what the city of Phoenix has done. Take a listen.
2: Nancy Bartow did indeed file a, a formal request with our office. And what happens is that starts the clock ticking. And so our office will have 30 days to. Uh, issue a decision about whether an opinion about whether it's it does violate the constitution it might violate the constitution or it doesn't violate the constitution Mm. and so those are the options and depending on what the office decides that sets another clock going and so basically our our opinion or our decision will be done um, on january 17th that's when the 30 days will run and we'll have a we'll have an opinion we'll have a decision out before then
0: okay so the clock is ticking Tell me as one, though, that was confused because I thought hell or high water, the fees went into effect January 1st, and hell or high water, Uber and Lyft said they weren't going to play ball there anymore. So this extension and this delay... Um I don't think it was nearly as publicized as much as the pullout was publicized. And
1: that's why we wanted to talk to you about it, because last week you and I were both here on Friday, you know, and we're we're looking at different stories, and I'm like, yeah, what happened with that? What's going on? Isn't this a thing? So we started (laughs) digging around in our newsroom, who was definitely on top of it, and and I got the correspondence that our uh, our reporter, Peter Seymour from the newsroom, had gotten back from Lyft. Uh, This one says, thank you for reaching out. I do not have any additional details to share at this time. Happy to keep you in the loop once we announce the date. Lyft still plans to cease service before the new fee schedule is implemented. So, again, new fee schedule implemented, they say, now, February 1st. Yeah. And so Lyft, they're saying, will be pulling out prior to that. As far as Uber, Uh it says, we have nothing new to share at this time. We plan to cease operations this month, but do not have further details to share. And you heard Attorney General, State Attorney General there, Mark Berdovich, talk about the investigation that's taking place. Um, Sal Sisio. Yes, councilman. One of two uh, Phoenix City councilmans, the other one, Vice Mayor uh, Jim Waring, yep, who voted against voted the Voted hell fees. no. Uh, and I think that that's important to, to, <laughs> oh, yeah. to let people know their names as to who voted against it. because Seven that's, to two. that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing, in my opinion, that they voted against it. Sal Sisio, one of them, here's what he has said about... Uh, what's happening behind the scenes?
2: Uber and Lyft have made it very clear that they will leave and not deliver to the airport starting February 1 that uh, when the tax kicks in. But there are multiple things happening behind the scenes right now. The governor's office is engaged. The state legislature is engaged. All of this in an attempt to make sure that we save and protect the right share program at the city of Phoenix.
0: Yeah, because we've talked before about the... I mean, I don't know if the term black eye comes to mind that, you know, anyone from out of state coming to visit Arizona, landing in, in Phoenix, can't get an Uber or Lyft and going, what the heck? What you what do did I go back in time? You know, where did I when did I land? Nineteen eighty three? Uh as well as I still think about all the Uber and Lyft drivers, the people that do this for a living and the impact it has on their business. Governor Ducey. I'll remind you once again, he talks about this being a low-regulatory, low-tax state. We're open for business. We're business-friendly. This is the exact opposite of business-friendly. It just is. You know, understandably, and obviously, we focus on law enforcement who are tragically killed in the line of duty. We have that number for the year, last year. We also have the number... Of officers who took their own lives, which one do you think is bigger? The executive assistant chief of the Phoenix Police Department, Chief Kurtenbach, joins us next to talk about that right here on Arizona's news station. Arizona's news station, KTAR News on 92.3 FM get some perspective Bruce st. James and Pamela Hughes there is a website the officer down memorial page that um, puts together data of officers who are killed in the line of duty mm. all right yeah
1: in 2019
0: in 2019 they added 132 officers to their list that Jeez. also included deaths due to deaths due to 9-11 illness and heart attacks 132 and we think about each one of those as an individual tragedy we cover them we hear those stories so here's the upside the other side of this what if i told you that 172 officers died by suicide
1: i'd say that there's <laughs> There's a big problem, a big problem that needs to be addressed, Bruce. Because that number, I apologize, two twenty-eight was last year. I apologize. B- no, but when you when you look at right. the organization, right, yeah. the number of officers who have died from suicide in two thousand eighteen was one seventy-two. Yeah, in two thousand seventeen, one sixty-eight. Okay. In 2016, 143. The reason why I offer you those number of folks is it's, it's, it's going the wrong way. It's ticking up. It's going up every year. So what's going on? Well, we wanted to help find out what's happening with law enforcement. And so we look in our own backyard here. And joining us in the studio right now is Executive Assistant Chief of Phoenix Police, Mike Kurtenbach. And so we appreciate you being in here, Chief. Um, we know that the city of Phoenix and your department in particular has been doing doing some, some different things, some new initiatives, some new programs to, ha- to help officers that uh, that are struggling. Can you tell us a little
2: bit about those? Uh, absolutely. We're very proud of our employee assistance unit on our department. Uh, I'm going to celebrate 30 years as a Phoenix police officer here in a few months. Congrats. Thank you. And we have really grown as an organization. When I came on, there were things that you didn't talk about. There were things that you just didn't speak of. You didn't acknowledge The reality in our profession is that officers experience trauma and sometimes trauma on a daily basis. It can be a car accident. It could be a child drowning. It could be a critical incident that gets in the news. But there are so many other incidents that never make the news. And there's this cumulative effect of all of that trauma. And I think as a profession, we finally have started to realize that and address it. And here's what I say. When I speak at the academy, I tell those new recruits that I want them to get to their retirement on their terms. I want them to have their cake. And their punch and right off into the sunset on their terms. But we as an agency and certainly those of us that are leaders within this agency, it's incumbent upon us to give them the best opportunity to accomplish just that.
0: And I know this is a a project that you are spearheading inside of the Phoenix Police Department, something that's very near and dear to your heart as well. Can you help us understand, again, looking at four years of data, again, nationwide, why are the numbers going up? Are there different stresses, unique stresses? W- why are more officers literally getting to the end of their rope like this? Uh, I'm trying to understand. Do you see what I'm saying? Why you would see the last four years in a row the number of officers who die by suicide is going up and going
2: up pretty dramatically. So this is anecdotal. Fair enough. But I would say, from my experience, when I came on and over the last couple decades, part of this most recent decade. We ingested our news differently than we do now. You would read the paper. Um, Me as a Phoenix native, I remember when you had the Arizona Republic in the morning and the Gazette in the afternoon. You would watch the evening news. The news cycle is constant. And I'm a big proponent of body-worn cameras. I'm on the record locally and nationally uh, believing in body-worn cameras. But so much of an officer's job now plays out on camera. And I think that level of scrutiny... Is is very troubling for some of our officers and from of their families that now are confronted with the realities of their profession. Whereas maybe previously they didn't have to confront that reality, now they're forced to.
0: So uh, it, it, help me understand this again, Chief Chief Curtinbaugh. With uh, uh, Phoenix Police is with us right now. Um, so an officer, I will use in the past. You in the past. You know, <laughs> we won't go back with the full thirty years. How's that? But we go back and your. Family. They knew you were a police officer, obviously. They had a general idea of what you do. Are are today's officers getting a different um, sort of pressure from friends and from family members who maybe are more in tune with what their job looks like through things like these videos and whatnot?
2: I think that's fair to say when you look at programs. So my generation was cops. Now you have oh yeah
0: a, TV show cops absolutely yeah
2: now you have live PD and you have different iterations of that and shows that just go out and do public records requests for body worn camera video and that's the show but see that isn't make believe that isn't Hollywood that's reality so when you see an officer that witnesses a traffic collision or is involved in that critical incident, performs life-saving measures on somebody, that's very real to that individual. And now that's very real to their families as well.
1: And it's life-changing. I can only imagine oh, yeah. what, what that would do to someone. And, and that's what we ask our law enforcement officers to routinely do. But asking for help isn't the easiest thing. And joining us right now in studio, if you're listening to us, it's, it's Executive Assistant Chief of Phoenix Police, Mike Kirkenbach. And I want to know how the culture is changing Because in any business, anybody who is listening to us right now, whether you are the CEO of a company, you are an entrepreneur, or you are in law enforcement, you know that changing the culture of an organization is one of the hardest things. How do you change the culture of, 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 an, of a, a profession mm. that is very strong, uh, exhibits strength, when a lot of people think asking for help with mental illness is a weakness? How do you change that?
2: Well, and that's something that's definitely changed in my tenure and over the last some, several years, something that I've been very passionate about. Previously, if an officer was involved in a shooting, uh, that officer would get three days off, would see a psychologist, and would go back to work. If that coincided with his or her regular days off, that's the way it was. You just went back to work and you accepted that as your reality. Over the last about five years, we've changed that paradigm to where we take that decision away from the officer and we try and remove that stigma. By creating a critical incident protocol for all of our officers to where they're required to go see somebody, a professional, not once but twice before they go back to work. We take them offline for a full month, and it could be longer, but you you take that decision away from them because everybody processes trauma differently. In our employee assistance unit, where over time it was there, it wasn't there, now we have a sergeant. We have seven detectives whose job is employee wellness. In addition, we have a psychological services provider who's embedded with our employee assistance unit at our police headquarters. They respond not only to critical incidents, but they have office hours to where our employees Mm -hmm. can come in and they can meet with somebody. So there's a lot of focus on those really bad things that happen that are obvious. But I mentioned earlier, there's the cumulative effect sure. of what the officers see. So we want to afford them the opportunity to talk to somebody about that. Well, and I think that that's something that kind of the light went off for me.
0: Some of you may have, and I'm sorry, been involved in a, a car accident or came upon one where there was serious injury or a fatality. Or you had a friend or a family member, or a child drowning These these horrible stories we hear, right? Police officers do that almost every day. They are running into that constantly. Think about how that affected you. Now, multiply it by, I can't imagine, times whatever for the rank and file officer, and and that has to affect you on some level.
2: It, there's no excuse for misconduct or bad behavior. Hear me clearly when I say that. But but sometimes if an officer is acting out, for lack of a better term, the person that's on the other end of that encounter doesn't realize what that officer may have just experienced. Again, I'm not excusing the behavior, but understand that an officer leaves a traffic collision where maybe there was a fatality. Maybe there were multiple fatalities. He or she still has several hours left in their shift. So they're going to go to the next call. Mm. And that next call may be benign. It could be something very simple. But that previous call doesn't just go away. No. You can't just forget about it.
1: And I think that's such an important perspective because as the Phoenix Police Department is working to help law enforcement deal with those challenges, I think it's also a call out there for, I think of, you know, ER doctors and nurses and what they see on any Paramedics, given day. firefighters. There are industries yeah. out there. I even think of teachers and, you know... These Title Nine, are not that's the wrong uh, title, but anyway, I just I'm thinking about like the schools that they're dealing with kids who are being abused and mm-hmm. and it's just we we need to be able to ask for help when you need it because so many are struggling with mental health, and I'm so happy to hear that Phoenix police has programs to help those out there with that.
0: Chief, we're gonna ask you to stick around for a minute. we're gonna shift gears a little bit where we have some new information out here, but let's call it good news fewer, fewer. Officer-involved shootings. What's behind the decrease? We're talking to Chief Kirkman next on Arizona's News Station. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. so joining us in studio right now is the executive assistant chief of the phoenix police department mike kurtenbach who um we were just talking about uh, really some of the changing pressures if you will being a police officer and some of the the real challenges that officers are going through as we saw the increase in the number of of suicides and what phoenix police is doing specifically but i know tied into one of those is a lot of these officer involved shootings and we have new data That came out that in 2018, there were 44 incidents of officer involved shootings, shootings by the by Phoenix. We're talking Phoenix alone. Last year, it dropped to 15. Was 2018 an anomaly? Just a statistical, you know, all bad things colliding? Or are there some changes and some some differences into how you guys are approaching your job?
2: Bruce, regarding the anomaly question, I'll say it's too early to say for sure what happened. But what is fair to say that I'll go back to 2013. Back in 2013, there were 31 officer-involved shootings in that year by the Phoenix Police Department. And at that time, that was our high. Mm -hmm. So at that time, the the then police chief, uh, Daniel Garcia, he partnered with Arizona State University on a study to seek opportunities, which this goes back to our previous discussion, for improvement. Are there things that, that we could do differently as an organization? Early in 2018, Chief Williams recognized the trajectory that we were on as a department. Nobody could have foreseen 44 at the time, but that's when she sought council approval and was granted that approval to partner with the National Police Foundation to do much the same thing that Chief Garcia did after 2013. When the National Police Foundation came in and and provided nine recommendations that we have adapted as an organization. But I can't sit here and say that those recommendations had a direct impact. One one to one correlation yet. Can't say that.
1: Okay. Can you tell us a little bit, though, of some of the recommendations and some of the changes that Chief Williams has instituted at, at Phoenix Police that we're looking to see what the implication of them may be later on down the line?
2: Well, the first recommendation was one that is titled Pointing Guns at Persons, PGP. That's the acronym that you'll hear used. We as a department previously did not track whenever we pointed a firearm at somebody. We do a very good job of tracking when we discharge that firearm. But the National Police Foundation recognized that there are agencies bigger than us that are similarly sized or smaller around the nation that have tracked that data. So we have started tracking that data beginning in, in August of 2019. Do you find value in that? We believe so, but we're going to need a little bit more time to really see how valuable the data is. And what's important to understand, for example, do we want to track every time the gun comes out of the holster or do we want to track every time the gun is pointed at somebody? Because there's there's a difference, right? I will maintain there is a difference. Yeah. If you think of units that serve search warrants, for example, anytime a unit, whether it be a special assignments unit, SWAT, or other entity, their guns are going to be out because there's the possibility that there's an armed subject on the other side.
0: So the gun is unholstered in that sense, but it's still pointed at the ground. It's not
2: pointed at somebody. Correct. That's merely a what would you call it? Like a, a, you're 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 ready. You're 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 prepared. Correct. And that's part of any tactical team. That's what they're going to do. So there are some people that believe that we should track that as well. My concern would be what is the value with that? And if we do that, what are we trying to find out? I think what we're trying to find out, from my perspective, do we have an employee who points his or her weapon at somebody disproportionate to the rest of the organization? Mm -hmm. If we involve tactical teams in that discussion, their guns are going to be out a lot. Constantly.
1: Yeah. yeah, It's good news. It, it, it's yeah. good news that the number of officer-involved yeah, shootings in the city of Phoenix dropped by more than half last year over the previous year. So something has changed what exactly that is. It's going to take a little while to move through the pipeline in order to put a thumb on it, but we'll take it.
0: Chief Kruppenbott, thank you for your time today. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year. Happy new year. It's great seeing you. A new study comes out. Are women less likely to receive cpr because of the me too movement we're gonna we're gonna dig into that that's coming up next right here on arizona's news station